0: Hello, I'm Kenna. I'm koel and welcome, welcome back to, to Diagnosis C- Diagnost- Killer. I wanted to say <laughs> mental, mental breakdown. <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> it's not the mental breakdown. It's next episode. <laughs> They're like, wait, I clicked on episode
1: seventeen, not yeah. mental <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> I'm just so used to doing like the mental breakdown. Yeah. <whistles> <whistles>
0: How's it going? Ugh, I know coffee. I know it's just like jittering. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a new Patreon this week, and I'm so oh. excited. His name is Jim Bob Fifty Six. Jim Bob, thank you, Jim Bob Fifty Six. I appreciate that. We are now up to five total Patreons. Thanks, guys, us included, so three. But <laughs> thank you guys very much for that. Uh, we're gonna just jump right into the case. I think I have to do it. It's gonna be a full-on episode. So today we are going to be talking about. I don't think you know this one, George Emil Banks. George Banks? No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. Were <laughs> you waiting for me to repeat it and say no? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no. Anybody? Yeah. Anyone? Seek up, seek up now for everyone,
0: please. <laughs> uh, so George Emil Banks was born in the suburbs of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, on June twenty-second, nineteen forty-two, to parents John Mack and Mary Yelland. Mary Yelland?
1: Yelland. Not Mary Ellen. Nope. Yelland. Y-E-L-L-E-N-D. Yellen. Like Mary Yelland. Like you're yelling and it's <laughs> the end. Yelland. <laughs> end. <Yelland. laughs> it's the end of your yell.
0: Um, it wasn't a lot of sources and I think that it's important to note that the community that George was raised in had an 80% white population mm-hmm. because his father was black and his mother was white. Now, although George's parents were not married, uh, they were highly discriminated against, as well as George, because the parents were raising biracial children, and mm. George was biracial himself. Mm. Uh, on top of being judged and teased, like I said, the classmates of his would also frequently tease his mother mm. um, for being in that relationship, which is awful. That is um, of course, this continuous teasing and discrimination took a huge toll on George, and he carried that anger into his adulthood. Mm. And I will—I'll go in a little bit more into that later. So there's not much about his early childhood except for the discrimination and segregation that they mm-hmm. talk about that a lot in all the sources that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, but when George turned 17, he decided to join the army hmm. and make a successful, secure career for himself. That's good. Really uh, admirable. Now, during the two years that he spent with the US Army, there was a number of disagreements noted between George and his superiors. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, again, just two years later, in the year nineteen sixty one, George was discharged from the army. Honorably? It didn't say um it didn't say dishonorably or honorably,
1: it just says discharged. So I'm not sure. So either way, It might have been because of the disagreements, but either way, he was discharged. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he was only there for two years.
0: Yes. So he was 19 at this point. Okay. So it was at this time that George's violent streak would begin. (laughs) So again, at the age of 19, George and some accomplices, it said it did not name these people, went to a tavern in South Scranton with the intention of robbing the store owner at gunpoint. What? Yeah. (laughs) Just
1: just straight up. All of a sudden,
0: it seems, right? I know. Uh, With a shotgun in hand, the team of men walked into the tavern, and during the struggle, the store owner was shot and injured, but ultimately survived the attack. I know how scary, right? That is so scary. Now, George was arrested following this attack, and he was sentenced to 6 to 15 years for armed robbery. Uh, Three years into this sentence, in 1964, George made a... Brief escape,
1: it says. What? Yes. Brief <laughs> escape. Brief escape. oxymoron. <laughs> Either way, it's an escape. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's brief. But it doesn't matter.
0: <laughs> and following him being recaptured and returned to prison, of course, he got time added to his sentence. Despite the time being added to his sentence. I mean, that's the whole story, right? That's it. He's that's the it. Prison, right? The no. end. Despite the time being added to his sentence, George only served eight years in full and was granted parole in 1969. So, other than the fact that
1: he escaped, he's, like, a model inmate, and I mean, they just, like, let him go.
0: Armed robbery, escape artist, and then on parole. <laughs> like, that's just what? Kind of record.
1: <laughs> The
0: end. Yeah, literally. <laughs> now, it was at this time that George was released that he realized what he wanted in life, marriage and a family. Hmm. He got a job with the Department of Environmental Resources, and the same year that he was granted parole in 69, George found himself married to a young woman named Doris. The same... I wonder if they met while he was in prison. I'm not sure. Didn't say.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They didn't say a lot. They didn't. This is is a hard case to research. The the sauces. The the
0: sauces. Again, it is important for the story to note that Doris was a black woman, and I'll explain why in a little bit. They tied the knot on August 23rd, 1969, and during their time being married, they had two daughters together, Myrna and Daphne. Oh, All right. Those, those are so cute names, Myrna and Daphne. Daphne. Now, we're going to fast forward to 1974. Governor Milton Shep commuted George's sentence, so he lessened his sentence, uh, so he was no longer on parole. So he hmm. got off parole. Two years later, on October 28th, 1976, George would file for divorce from Doris. After the relationship ended, George and Doris were no longer, I'm assuming, talking, and I believe that he left the family entirely.
1: Oh, my God. Because they
0: don't show back up in the but story. that was like
1: when he wanted to be like a
0: family man
1: so george would
0: later say that he ended the relationship because he felt the torment from his childhood creeping back in mm-hmm. and after that he himself made the decision to date white women only from that point on okay. in an attempt to shield himself and his future children or partner from racism wow that's what he says about the later on Ugh, that's so sad i know it
1: is It's just sad that discrimination, like, literally shapes your brain. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. Now, during the time frame of 1976 to around 1980, I couldn't get an exact date, George dated a woman named Sharon Mazzio, and they had even lived together for a while and had one son together Mm -hmm. named Kismayu. Kismayu? Kismayu. Cute. Yeah. Um, They ultimately separated as well, and over the next few years, again, the timeline was not perfect. And this is going to get kind of confusing, so I'm going to try to be as clear as possible. George had met three young women who were all living on the streets and seemed as though they were in need of some help. Maybe some shelter, some food. Now, keep in mind, this is 1980-ish. George is now 40 years old. Okay. And he's offering to help out these young women.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Thinking that he's a stand-up guy that's offering to put a roof over their heads, the women trusted him. It wasn't clear if he met them all at the same time and offered to have them a place to stay or he met them in separate occasions. Um, This is about like a six year gap. So it's very likely that he met them at different times and then offered them
1: to come live with him. After he had a son? So this is within six years of him having his son. Okay. Yes. Mm Exactly. Exactly.
0: So it was at this point, around 1980, that George had actually gotten a job as a prison guard, despite his record, and was working at Camp Hill in Pennsylvania. So why shouldn't these women trust him? He seems like a stand-up guy. And he has got a job, a good job. A yeah. yeah. Now, George purchased a house in Will's Bar, the same city that he had spent his whole life in, and invited these women to live with him. Uh, it wasn't clear if two of these women knew each other before, but two of them were actually siblings. So it was oh, okay. a sister and her younger sister, and then a third woman that was not related okay. to them. Either way, however it happened, by September of 1982, George was living with all of these women and had children with each of them. Yes. What? Yes. Scandaloso. So again, the names may get a little confusing, but I felt it's important to name each of them for the purpose of the story. Of course. So I will try to be as clear as possible. Now, from these three women came five children. Dorothy Lyons had a daughter named Nancy from a previous relationship. She was eleven years old, okay. and her and George shared a son together who was one year old, named Fora Rude. Susan Uhas had a son named Bowendi, who she shared with George, who was four years old, and also a twenty month twenty month year old daughter, Morin Tiana.
1: Morin Tiana, these That's are so
0: unique. Yes, and Regina Clemens also had a daughter with George named
1: Montanzima, and she was six years old. But like, how long was? So, okay, wait. <laughs> so, she's six. She's six. But how long had the the women had only been living there for six years, right? They or something? Had... Because, so was he, like, with her and also the previous lady? Yes, so it seems prom? like the oldest child is six in the house. His
0: breakup with his ex-girlfriend, Sharon, was five years ago, right? And so... He clearly was was was, like already with
1: this woman. Yes,
0: this woman (sighs) Regina. It seems as though he had had sex with her, gotten her pregnant, and then was Mm -hmm. in this relationship with Sharon, maybe shortly afterwards Mm -hmm. or while he was in the relationship with her. Either way, he has a six-year-old with this woman Regina, with woman Regina now, and a five-year-old
1: with his ex-girlfriend Sharon, who is not living in the house. Okay, so he had had a previous relationship with her before the other. Five-year-old's mom. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's confusing. I know. So the only bio child that's not his is Nancy, right? She's yes. 11. And she's from a previous relationship, but she's but living but she in lives the house. There. Okay. So there's five children and four adults in okay. the house.
0: I know. It's hard to explain. So yeah. it's very clear that George is in relationships with all three of these women, or at least has been in the past right. and has kids with all three of them. Yeah. Which, again, is not
1: unusual for some religions. Yeah, absolutely. To have multiple to each wives or have multiple women that have multiple children. Yes. Things like that. So, okay. As long as they're happy. Yeah. Are they happy? Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I says moment. it all. <laughs> now, on top of the three women and five children that are living in his home, he is also in a custody battle with his ex-girlfriend, Sharon, for their now five-year-old son. Okay. Sharon, however, was not living in the home, but instead was living in a mobile home only four miles away in Jenkins Township with their son. Hmm. This custody battle had been going on for a while, and although George had been granted parental responsibility, Sharon was not complying with court orders and was <gasps> pretty much
1: keeping his son from him.
0: She, she was refusing
1: to let the son. She's, like, not in agreement with what he's doing, Seems all the like other it. children. Okay, so maybe, maybe she couldn't hang with the... With the multiple girlfriends. Yeah. I mean... But that's still his
0: kid. I mean, and yeah. especially
1: if it's court-ordered to be granted custody, then...
0: He has parental custody. He has parental rights. Oh, he has rights. full yes. custody. Yes. And she's keeping him
1: from him. Oh, hell no. Yeah. No. H- wild horses could not drag me away from my <laughs> child.
0: So remember how I said earlier that he was working as a prison guard? hmm Well, his stint in that job only lasted two years as well, and in early 1982... George had told a co-worker that, quote, the world would soon be consumed by a race war mm. and that he also wanted, quote, to prevent the five children he fathered with the four white girlfriends from experiencing the torment and agony of racism.
1: No. Yeah. What is he going to do? Well, during the first week no. of September. No,
0: no, don't do this. Okay. All it's right. Not, it's all right. not coming yet. Okay. Oh,
1: God. Okay. Oh. George
0: was actually put on a leave of absence from this prison guard. Job following a disagreement with the supervisor. Sound familiar? Yes. In this disagreement, George threatened suicide. The argument began with George locking himself in a guard tower with a shotgun and threatening (gasps) to kill himself. What? Yes. Uh, this incident not only took him off prison guard duty. Duh. But after this the prison had ordered George to be examined for mental health issues oh. at a Harrisburg area hospital.
1: Here we go. Here we go. Here we this go. This is the diagnosis yeah. part of <laughs> the diagnosing <laughs> a killer. Yeah. Where they don't get diagnosed and they just get shoved off to like on the streets or yep. whatever.
0: So he was placed on involuntary sick leave and was supposed to see a psychologist on September 29th, 1982.
1: What does that mean, supposed to see a psychologist? Like, when I hear shit like that, I'm thinking someone's going to make a house call. Someone is going to actively check up with this individual, not just, like, we're going to schedule you an appointment and hope that they show up. So remember, this is in the beginning of September that this incident happened, mm-hmm. and they're
0: telling him, oh, we booked you an appointment for the 29th. You're going to have to wait three weeks to get this appointment
1: with what? a psychologist. But
0: you got to go see them. And not only are you going to wait three weeks, you're going to be out of work for three weeks while well, so you, you wait have, to get this appointment. So
1: your entire routine is just fucked. Yeah. Like, you don't have a routine because you're not getting up going to work. Oh, no, that's And awful. if you are suffering from a mental illness, disrupting your routine can be a big freaking issue. Of course, yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's you're no longer being held accountable for anything anymore. Yeah. And you feel like, that's like one of the things is when they say, like, not to compare mental illnesses with working out, but that's what they say, like, when you start going to the gym, take a buddy, yeah. you know, th- because you keep each other accountable. Yeah. And if nobody's keeping you accountable for anything, I mean, fuck it. Yeah. Fuck it.
0: Literally. Now, I said three weeks from now is when he's going to have the appointment. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, uh, on September 24th... Is this it? 1982, no! this is it. <laughs> this is five days before his appointment. Oh, my God. George found himself at a party and heavily under the influence of straight gin, also on a dangerous amount of prescription drugs. Oh, fuck. At this party, he was noted as playing darts and drinking beer, of course. And he was also fawning over a woman's t-shirt that he met. Hmm. The t-shirt stated, quote, kill them all and let God sort it out. It's kind of a rad
1: shirt. <clears throat>
0: Not in this sense. <laughs> He loved this t-shirt so much in fact that he and this woman actually switched shirts while at the party. He what? wanted it, right? He went to bed and to his surprise awoke the next morning
1: in his home. After waking up, surprised to be awoke to be well, awake, he, in his own home? Oh, cuz he was so he drunk was he surprised didn't realize that he woke up. He drank
0: so much and took pills oh. the night before. That was me speculating. I don't know if he was surprised. He didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Surprised. You were surprised. I was (laughs) was surprised. (laughs) After waking up, George picked up his AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and began what would end up becoming a 13-person killing spree. (gasps) 13? Oh, my God. Content warning. I'm not going to get too much into it, but content warning. George began by killing everybody that lived in the house with him. Uh, Without getting too much into it, again, his method of operation for each person was a fatal gunshot wound,
1: either to the head or to the heart, bringing his body count to eight within minutes. So, okay, so eight, that's the three women and then all five children. Yes.
0: After he was finished in the home, George dressed himself in military fatigues that he wore over the t-shirt from the party and made his way outside. Across the street, there was a house party, I guess, that had ended and people were leaving the next mm-hmm. morning. And just as George exited his home, so did 22-year-old Jimmy Olsen and 24-year-old Ray Hall Jr. across the street.
1: They're like random people? Mm-hmm.
0: As soon as George spotted the two men, he opened fire. <gasps> Ugh. Could you imagine? Like,
1: literally, you're just leaving a party. You're hungover as shit. And you're like, man, uh, let's hit up the IHOP. Literally. And then, oh my god, that's so awful. Both of the men were struck with bullets.
0: Ray Hall Jr. died at the scene, suffering gunshot wounds to his liver and kidney. And surprisingly, Jimmy Olsen survived a gunshot wound to the chest. Oh my god. Jimmy would later tell investigators that he remembers George stating that the two men would
1: not tell anybody about what happened before he opened fire. Like he was saying, like. Do you think that maybe he thought that they, maybe they knew or something that he had hurt everybody in the family? Or do you think it was like, I don't know. Like, I think like, that
0: he was in a military uniform with an AR-15 in his hand and these two guys saw and he said,
1: oh, well, you're not going to say anything. You're not going to you know? say anything about what I look like or what I'm doing or whatever. I mean, he obviously has a gun. He's not,
0: Yeah, you know, so I do know. know.
1: I don't know. Like, I guess like he considered them to be witnesses. Yeah, I think okay. so.
0: Yeah and uh i mean talk about survivor's guilt with jimmy olson yeah. his buddy you know they were just leaving the party together and they yeah. both got shot and he survived i can't imagine
1: especially a a, a wound to the chest like that yeah oh my
0: gosh Ugh. following this attack george got in his car and drove off he knew exactly where he wanted to go and he headed towards heather highlands mobile home park where his no. ex-girlfriend sharon and the son that they shared lived Ugh. together Upon arriving, George forced his way in and immediately got to Sharon, shooting her instantly in the chest. He was then noted as placing the gun to his son's head while he was asleep and discharging a fatal gunshot wound. Oh, my God. Unbeknownst to George, Sharon's mother and two (gasps) brothers, as well as her nephew, were also in the mobile home. Oh, my
1: God. This is
0: too much. I know. George turned the gun on Alice Mazzio, Sharon's mom who was actually on the phone with police at the time and delivered a fatal gunshot to her face. Sharon's nephew, Scott, had tried to get away, but was kicked by George, hit with the rifle, and ultimately shot fatally in the face as well, bringing his crime spree up to 13 victims. George then left the mobile home.
1: Did did Sharon's mom get to say anything on 911? Do you know? It'll come up later.
0: Now, I mentioned that Sharon's two younger brothers were also there. hmm George didn't notice, but Sharon's younger brother, Angelo, at 10 years old, was hiding under the bed during this whole attack, and her other brother, Keith, at 13 years old, was hiding in a closet. Oh my god, smart boys. After George left the mobile home... The phone that share Cher- or that Alice had used to call the police, mm-hmm. the line was still open. <gasps> so the boys picked up the phone and were I- able to identify George as the shooter no immediately.
1: No way! Oh <laughs> God! <Ugh. laughs> I just got the whole heaves and smart heaves. kids. Oh my gosh! I can't believe that. So I'm sure the operator probably heard gunshots and stuff. <sighs> <sighs> After
0: this report from the boys, police arrived at both scenes, the house and the mobile home, and were quickly able to connect the crime scenes with the men that had been shot across the street and and with George Mm Banks. Now, George had abandoned his car after leaving the mobile home and actually carjacked an unnamed individual who was left uninjured. And at this point, George drove around for a while and then he pulled over in a grassy area and laid down for a little bit and ultimately passed out. Like, he was exhausted from all his crime doing. Yeah. I thought this was important to note because that can be a sign of severe mental illness. Like, the dissociation with reality. Yeah. Like, that's real, you Mm. know? When George awoke, he immediately went to his mother Mary's house, who still resided in Wilkes Bar. Bar. When George arrived, Mary noted that he smelled like liquor and he was crying. Mm. Mary remembers George telling her that she needed to take him where he wanted to go or that there was going to be a shootout.
1: Yeah, like what? Like with his own mom? Well, with the I mean, he killed his own children, but...
0: When Mary asked George what happened, he replied with, quote, It's all over. I did it. I killed everyone. She then asked who he killed, and he replied, quote, I killed them all, Mom. I killed all the kids and girls. Regina, Sharon, them all.
1: Jeez. Very
0: haunting. After hearing this, of course, Mary was shocked, and she proceeded to call George's home... To confirm, hoping that he was just drunk and just rambling. Well, the police were still at his home doing their investigation, so they answered when the phone rang. Oh, my God. Imagine that. That is heartbreaking. Upon the police answering the phone, George grabbed the phone from his mom and asked the cops how the children were doing. What? Yeah. He's definitely suffering from some type of psychosis. Yeah. Yeah. The police told George that the children were indeed alive in an attempt to keep him on the phone. Oh. They were not, but they were trying to. Yes. T- George responded by screaming that they were lying and saying, quote, I know I killed them. He slammed the phone down, put 30 rounds of ammo in a duffel bag, and left the home going to a vacant rental home. Okay. I assume that he was... In a home, either near the house or that Mary followed him, but either way, the police were able to locate the rental home or the vacant yeah the vacant home that George was in. Yeah, this is where a standoff took place. Oh my! The police attempted everything they could to get George out of the home, including bringing Mary with them in order to try and talk him out. Mm-hmm. They also feigned a news report that they played over WILK radio that stated that the children were alive and they needed blood in order to to survive. What? So they made a fake news report over a radio and played it for him that it was someone reporting that the kids are in desperate need of blood to survive, hoping that that would
1: draw him out. Didn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like he already killed his children. So I don't think that there's I think that even if there was a potential that they were alive, he probably... I mean, that sounds awful, but probably hoped that they would. Yeah. Because he already thought that he was saving them or helping them, yeah. you know?
0: None of these things seem to be working. And after four hours, a former co-worker of George's named Robert Brunson was able to talk George down and get him out of the house. Was he a corrections officer? Probably, right? I mean... Oh, was a former co-worker, yeah. I'm assuming yeah. he worked at the prison. Just five days later, George stood accused of eight counts of murder attempted murder, aggravated assault, recklessly endangering another person, stealing a car, robbery, and theft.
1: Only eight counts of murder? This is what he's accused of. So we'll get to the, the Those are the, Those are the things that they definitely knew he did. Yes. I
0: see, okay. Following the shootings, George was given many psychiatric interviews, one in which Dr. Michael Spodak, Chief of Psychiatry at Baltimore County General Hospital, said he spoke of Quote, a conspiracy he believes he had been plotted against him, overwhelming his thoughts. Hmm. Dr. Spodak was also noted as saying about George, quote, In my opinion, he was completely irrational. He had lost touch with reality on a great many things. He said he thinks someone moved the bodies around and put extra bullets into them and changed some of the clothes. They were not rational expressions. That's part of his illness. Interesting. Interesting. While Dr. Spodock felt that George was, quote, terminally paranoid and not competent to stand trial, he was not the only psychiatrist that evaluated George. Of course. Dr. Robert Sadoff testified at a pretrial hearing on behalf of the prosecution, and he stated that he felt that although George exhibited, quote, bizarre behavior, he fully understood the charges that were made against him. Hmm. Which... Yeah, well, you can understand the charges, but yeah. do you understand what you did, and or were you sane at the time of your crimes?
1: Yeah, I do agree with the fact that, I mean, clearly he said that he admitted to doing it, so I think that he knew what it was. Now, whether or not he knows the gravity of that, yeah. because maybe he, he doesn't have the ability to be empathetic or sympathetic, yeah. that's different, yeah. you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's incompetent. I agree. The judge ultimately agreed with Dr. Sadoff and ruled George legally competent
0: to stand trial. On June 6th, 1983, George's trial began at the Luzerne County Courthouse in wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. From the start of the trial and against his attorney's advice, George insisted in testifying on his own behalf. Oh my gosh. And they totally let him. They did. They totally let them do that. The defense team was arguing that George was criminally insane during the times of his crimes and therefore could not be held responsible for his actions. However, George disagreed with his attorneys and was determined to take the stand with the statement that he was not insane. His defense attorneys had the opportunity to speak first. They stated that George was a man with disturbed and paranoid thoughts and that he had a fixation on an impending race war he believed was coming to the world. They also said that he was suffering from paranoia during the time of the shootings, and the defense psychiatrists argued that George truly believed that he had not killed his family. That's the defense psychiatrist arguing for him, but okay. George was saying otherwise. Yeah. Instead, George argued that he himself had only wounded some of his victims and that the police were the ones that
1: actually killed them. So he's totally changed at this point. Although, again, we talk about that structure. There's no structure. There's no uh, routine or any Mm -hmm. of that. So he's probably just deteriorating in his brain.
0: Once George took the stand, he exclaimed that it was indeed the police that killed his victims, that he had simply wounded them, and if they would let him exhume the victims' bodies, he could prove his
1: theory. Oh, my God. I feel so... I mean, I I I feel so bad for this man. Although, you can't feel badly for him because of the crimes that he committed, but for some seriously for somebody to go through that in their brain how exhausting that suffering so much and they don't even realize and it and they don't know
0: during his time on the stand he also told police that he committed the crimes because he was drunk and on drugs and that his suffering from his childhood had built up into rage mm-hmm. Many other people took the stand at the trial, including some of George's family members who testified that George had been struggling with the weight of racism his whole life and his hard childhood brought out resentment for both the black and white races. Mm. Jimmy Olsen, the man who survived the gunshot wound to the chest, also took the stand. He testified that George was indeed the man that shot him and left him for dead. A gas station attendant, who now knew George as the man who carjacked him at gunpoint, after Mm. telling him that he had just killed his children, also took the stand to identify George as the perpetrator. Yeah. That guy remained anonymous. He confirmed that George was carrying a semi-automatic weapon during this confrontation. Mm. Perhaps the most compelling testimonies, however, were that of Sharon's two little brothers, Keith and Angelo, who remember they were in the mobile home during the second attack. The 911 operator was also there to use the mother's and children's call for the record. When speaking about Alice's call, the operator said, quote, She said someone was there assaulting her and her kids, and there was a noise. The operator then recalled that the line was quiet for a while. Quote, it sounded like a firecracker, and a man's voice shouted, I'll kill you. And then there was silence, but the line stayed open. Then I heard a young male voice whisper, quote, He killed my brother and my sister and my mom. He shot them all. While both the defense and the prosecution agreed that George suffered from a paranoia psychosis diagnosis, they disagreed on whether or not this would affect his ability to know right from wrong, especially during the time of the crimes. The prosecution maintained that although mental illness may have contributed to his behavior and his actions, George knew what he was doing and killed the women in his life and his children as he felt he was losing control over them. Which, I don't know if I agree with that part.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something a prosecutor would say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they also brought in testimony that George had abused past girlfriends and witnesses who said they saw George physically assaulting the women who lived in the house with
1: him. hmm
0: I mean, that's kind of damning. Yeah. Closing arguments took place 15 days later on June 21st, 1983. Although the defense argued that George was insane, it was not enough to convince the jury that he did not know right from wrong. Yeah. The jury ultimately found George Emile Banks guilty of twelve counts of first degree murder, one count of third degree murder, attempted murder, aggravated assault, and one count each of robbery, theft, and endangering the life of another person. Oh my God. On June twenty second, nineteen eighty-three, on George's forty-first birthday, oh
1: my God. Oh my the God. jury
0: recommended the death penalty for George Banks.
1: I have full body chills right now. That is intense. Oh, that was There's so more. much. There, that was, that's, no, that's it. That's so much. <laughs> that's so much information.
0: I know. Following the trial, George immediately went to the maximum security unit at Huntington and was there until November of 1985. He was then sent to the Correctional Institute at Greater Ford after the U.S. Supreme Court refused to overturn his verdict. From 1987 to the year 2000, George's attorneys continued to try and appeal his case. For, However, on what grounds that he was insane and he I think they I were see. trying to appeal the death penalty, I not see. not any of his convictions, yeah. but they didn't want to overturn be. the yeah. death penalty. Okay. However, the US Supreme Court refused to hear his attorney's argument that he lacked the mental competency to be executed. Since his conviction and during his numerous appeals, George repeatedly tried to take his own life and engaged in a hunger strike resulting in the need to be force-fed
1: in order to keep him alive. Oh my gosh. You know, how would they do that? I guess they would like maybe a feeding tube or something. Yeah, but like strap him down. How do you have to Yeah, exactly, yeah, you'd have to strap awful. him down. Probably some datum. <clears throat>
0: <laughs> Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge even signed a death warrant twice for George, one in 1996 and the second in 1999, with both times being unsuccessful, the federal courts saying George's staying, George's execution. It didn't say why it was denied, but multiple sources said that they stayed his execution um I had to look into this. The death warrant that the governor signed was, like, pretty much, like... Expedite him. Kill right? him now. Yeah. Like, expedite Yeah, that yeah. sounds bad. But then the federal courts are saying, no, I think it was because <laughs> they were getting so much information from the defense attorneys, from all these other sources, they were like, maybe we should... Maybe we should try these guys out for a little bit longer. Yeah. Or maybe. I don't know what the reason was, but either way, it was denied.
1: It might be, like, a a tax dollar thing, honestly. Yeah. Like, they're like, okay, there's too many medical resources going into keeping this dude alive. Yeah. But if... You know, if the court finds that there's that's not true, that other people, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that it was unselfish that they didn't, that they no, didn't, of course. Yeah, <laughs> you no, know, it's definitely for selfish reasons. Yeah,
0: from his conviction until the year 2000, Georgia's defense team filed six appeals across the state Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, the federal court, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, all of which were denied. In October of 2001, upon another appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit, the death penalty for George Banks was overturned <gasps> based on the ruling from Mills versus Maryland in 1988 regarding how juries are instructed in death penalty cases with the Court of Appeals and deciding that this ruling should be applied to cases redating that trial.
1: Wow. I know.
0: However, Two years later, in June of 2003, <laughs> this decision was overruled by the U.S. Supreme Court, and George Banks once again faced the death penalty. Could you
1: imagine being George Banks and being like, "I mean, yeah, sure, whatever." Like for like, like years, because you're gonna die. You're not you're gonna, gonna die. die. You're, you're not. Gonna die, gonna die, die. Yeah, die. yeah. But like honestly. at this point, does he even know what's going on? If he's not getting proper like yeah. psychiatric treatment. I mean, let's be honest. In the early 2000s,
0: he might not be getting proper evaluated wait, evaluations in prison. Yeah. Scheduled for death for the third time, a last-minute decision was received from the state Supreme Court stating that George Banks needed to be re-evalu- re-evaluated <laughs> to see if he had the mental capacity and competency to be executed. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. In 2010, another hearing was held on his competency. His attorney said his mental state had deteriorated significantly since I 1982. Bet. Judge Joseph. Joseph? <laughs> Judge Joseph M. Aguelo ruled that Banks was mentally incompetent for execution or to assist in his attorneys in seeking clemency. He would continue to be held in a restricted housing unit at Greaterford Prison. There's a quote from this hearing. I couldn't... I didn't know if it was from the judge or the attorney. I think it was from the judge. But it does say, quote, Banks is out of touch with reality. He views his circumstances and the events around him through the prism of his delusions. His delusional beliefs are at the core of his understanding of his current legal situation, including the reasons for his continued incarceration and his possible execution. As of September of 2017, he was still on death row in Pennsylvania. He was later transferred to SCI Phoenix in May 2018. The last that I can find on George Banks was that he was 76 years old in 2018, still serving his sentence death row. Yeah. So he's, like, still... Alive and, like, in prison? Okay, get this. I will get to that in just a second, but I do want to take one moment to identify all of the victims, because it was very confusing, and I'd like to identify their names and their ages, just okay. for the record. Uh, so we have Sharon Mazzio at 24, Kisimu Banks at 5, Scott Mazzio, age 7, Alice Mazzio, age 47, Regina Clemens age 29, Montanzima Banks, age 6, Susan Yuha's, age 23, Boende Banks, age 4. Marie Tanina Banks, 20 months. Dorothy Lyons, 29 years old. Nancy Lyons, 11. Fora Road Banks, 1. Raymond F. Hall, Jr., 24. And the survivors are Keith Mazio at 13, Angelo Mazio at 10, James Olson at 22, and then the unidentified man that got carjacked. Aww. But I just, I wanted to put that in there. I thought it was important because yeah. how long it took me to say that, that's like really compelling. Like It just... is. Um, on a little bit of a lighter note, there was an article that I found, like, right before we started recording, he is in the same prison as Bill Cosby. What? <laughs> and there was a rumor that was circulating that Bill Cosby was, like, afraid of him. And what? literally, I have it right here. Hold on. I had to look. The, the article title, this is from 2019, so only, like, two okay, years ago. Okay, yeah. The article titled, George Banks, Not a Danger to Bill Cosby. <laughs> like, it's just so bizarre. Hey, hey,
1: hey, yeah. Here's the okay. noise.
0: And then it's saying, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but is celebrity inmate Bill Cosby's life in danger at a state prison (gasps) at the hands of notorious Losering County mass murderer George Banks? Bill Cosby of all people. (laughs) It says while Cosby and Banks are in the same prison, Banks remains isolated in the facility's death row wing and his interactions with other inmates like Cosby is heavily restricted. So it's not funny at all, but the tabloids were trying to
1: say, like, oh, Bill Cosby's in danger. And they're yeah. like, no the fuck, he's not. <laughs> but he's, like, the quite opposite of endangered. danger. And he's because...
0: also in prison. Yeah. So, like, well, <laughs> anyways, I just thought that was really out there. That yeah. he just happened to be, That's like, bizarre. in the same prison as Bill Cosby. But, yeah. Um, he so is he in prison.
1: I mean, I'm assuming he's still in prison and Last I heard, 2019,
0: he's on death row in prison with Bill Cosby. I'm sure if he had died, there was probably going to be an
1: article about of it. Of course, yeah. And I so... looked it
0: up. I said, you know... George, and he's Banks' Death. And they said, no. si- he has to be probably seventy-eight now. Seventy-eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's but incredible. Yeah. Isn't that a, a wild story? <gasps> oh my God! What a roller coaster! I know. It was a lot. There was a lot of names, but I felt that it was important to um, share those names with everybody. Just, I just have a couple of notes on what it means to be diagnosed with paranoia psychosis. Yeah, it's actually now called delusional disorder. So delusional disorder, previously called paranoid disorder, is a type of serious mental illness called a psychosis in which a person cannot tell what is real from what is imagined. Hmm. Uh, The main feature is the presence of delusions, which are unshakable beliefs in something untrue. People with delusional disorder experience non-bizarre delusions, which involve situations that can occur in real life, such as being followed, poisoned, deceived, conspired against, or loved from a distance. So it can be a good delusion or a bad delusion.
1: Oh, yeah. That's the way I feel about V from BTS. He's in love with me. He just doesn't know it. (laughs) Um,
0: And then just one of the things that can cause this, I just wanted to look up because I thought that it uh, did kind of relate to George. Uh, Evidence suggests that a delusional disorder can be triggered by stress. Alcohol and drug abuse also might contribute to the condition. People who tend to be isolated, such as immigrants or those with poor sight and hearing, appear to be more vulnerable to developing delusional disorder. Hmm. That just
1: reminds me of like the struggles that he went through in his childhood. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he felt isolated in the, you know, when you said he lived, he grew up in a predominantly white area mm-hmm. and then being um, a biracial person yeah. and trying to understand the struggles that he went through. It's kind of, I mean, yeah, no wonder he felt isolated yeah, and probably absolutely. outcasted. These,
0: this, these cases are kind of hard for me because it's like, like, I, uh, I don't want to discount what the victims went. Through. I mean, that is absolutely awful. And the victims' families and all of that. And at the same time, he is struggling so much with this delusional disorder. It's like, who do you blame? Do you blame the disorder or do you blame him? You yeah. know? I and mean, it's its really hard. I, Kind of similarly to Andre Thomas, I don't know if I believe that he deserves to be on death row. Mm. Um, I do believe that he needs to be in an institution for you know, the remainder of his life, yeah. but not necessarily on death row. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. That's just my opinion.
1: Though. I found it interesting that you have to be competent enough to understand they're killing you. Yeah. That is very bizarre to me. Yeah. Like,
0: I'm like, sorry, do you but, like, want someone the poor to man know? out of his misery, like, yeah. he's clearly
1: suffering, like, yeah. and he doesn't know what's going on, but that is incredible to me that you would have to be competent enough to be killed. Yeah. That's, That's like, a weird concept, what? right? Like, what? Yeah. No. Ugh. Oh, no. That is so scary. They, if anything, they should say, like, he's incompetent. He's on death row. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's the legal system, man. <laughs> it's full of I holes. I mean, he's only suffering more. <laughs> yeah. And he's but...
0: 78, too, you know?
1: Yeah. But there's some Ugh. people out there that would say, good, yeah. he should suffer. Yeah. Because of true. the amount of people he hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Uh, well, if you'd like to tell us your opinions on Woo. this case, you can follow us on Instagram Good at doozy. Diagnosing a Killer. <laughs> we have a Twitter at Killer Diagnosis, gmail.com. What? Diagnosing a Killer at gmail.com, mm-hmm. and Patreon.com slash Diagnosing a Killer. Again, thank you, Jim Bob, 56 thank you for all for of our your Patreon donations. Yes, and everyone else that is everyone else, all three of you that are Patreons. <laughs> uh, well, we hope to hear from you guys soon, and we'll be back with another mental breakdown in a few days, hopefully. Yeah. All right. Love, right bye. You. Bye. Love
1: you. Bye. bye.